0: Guess what? It's still molasses. dipping way too hard into the fucking uh, bondage world. Using the word mm. foreplay.
1: Mm. Well, that's just
0: regular sex, Cody. That's just slipping you a finger in the old, yeah. checking the oil and shit. You, you
2: gotta have some foreplay to get everybody warmed up. Listen, I'm not as young as I once was.
0: So you're gonna start tying your nipples up? Is yes. that what's going on here? Yeah.
2: Clamps. And little it. tiny nine volts. <laughs> I'm gonna rub them all over my nipples. <laughs>
0: We got to consult the bondage expert, Craig. Can't yeah. say his last name on the air, but. Craig
2: T. Ferguson.
0: Check out The Summoning Stone. It is a bon- weekly bondage World of Warcraft show. It's amazing. Hosted check by it out.
2: your friend and mine, Craig. Pooptat.
1: tat Good old Pooptat. I don't know if it's. Give him a follow on Twitter if you want to see him online, verbally, and typed out, suck local radio personalities dicks. <laughs> it's true.
0: Is that all he does on there? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. All he does is respond to
2: like Chris Hockey and Meets Us.
0: Well, maybe I don't know. I yeah, I haven't, you I, don't haven't know. I haven't listened to like local radio in so long.
2: Ever since you got your Bluetooth
0: uh adapter. Yeah. Ever since then I didn't, never have to listen to that junk anymore. I never have to hear any commercials. Never podcasts, have to podcasts all day. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of um freaky shit, so tell me about it. <laughs> So, I'm not extremely aware of uh, French films. Um, are you guys, do you watch French movies? That's all any? I watch. So, I was watching this this French horror movie that's air quoting. Did someone it, drop a baguette on the ground? Oh, close. So, it's called Double Lovers, right? All right. And the title is like, woman falls in love with her uh, psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Finds out his That's deep an abusive secret. relationship. Okay.
1: What do you think the very first
0: opening scene is?
1: Something involving wine or bread. She's sucking his dick in the psychiatry office. <laughs> no.
0: So um I'm gonna screw up the the word for uh what's the tool that gynecologists use?
1: Forceps. Forceps,
0: forceps yeah. So the camera's literally looking inside a forceps. And then it pans out while she's pulling him out, and then it's just like the vagina is like, oh, you got a slight infection in there, and then it's just like never brought up ever again, and that's all just the- like Claudette's breast cancer from the room. <laughs> i just like, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be hinting because she's complaining she has stomach aches all the time. And she's trying to say like the stomach aches are causing are from her depression and all of that. So mm, are the Psycho- stomach
1: aches because she's pregnant and the infection is the baby. She doesn't have a baby.
0: Well, anyway, the the big thing I know nobody's going to watch because it's kind of stupid, but basically she falls in love with the psychiatrist. He has an identical twin that he's trying to hide. The identical twin is the bad boy. And then she starts banging both of them. She gets pregnant by one of them. She doesn't know which one's the father. And then then I think she... Oh, there's a part two where it shows her going to the... Like, they pass by a sex shop, right? Mm-hmm. And on the outside, she's just looking at lingerie. She's like, ooh. You know, the thing like, oh, hey, let's stop here and buy something. And then it flips to the next scene, and she's got a huge strap on, and she takes him to town. Hell yeah. And then afterwards... <laughs> She's like, did you like that? He, and he just kind of like looks away like, yeah, it's okay, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, like, it wasn't a small one. It was a big dildo. It was a big boy? Yeah. Bad it's dragon? It his first time, yeah. And then she woke up. She was having a dream. Did he take the knot? <laughs> yes, he did. He's like, you're hurting me. And then she just keeps going. <laughs> and then it's revealed that she was dreaming the whole thing, and she was actually a twin who auto-cannibalized her sister at birth.
1: All right. (laughs) There's a little too much going on in that movie for me. But I'm just like... a lot of plot points.
0: It's hard to follow.
1: It's very hard
2: to follow. I started watching Patriot on Amazon Prime. It's uh like not the a-
0: Mel Gibson movie. Mm-mm. Okay, it's
2: like a dark comedy series about <laughs> a, a non-official cover U.S. operative.
0: Okay, all right.
2: But it's fucking ridiculous. It's so absurd, but also <laughs> believable. Like it's so absurd, but it follows its own rules that it's like okay, this is kind of believable. Okay, all right. But it's uh it's well worth it. It's hilarious and fucking depressing at the same time.
0: So is it? What's this supposed to be? A drama. A, I guess a
2: drama comedy. <laughs> okay. Uh, a it, he's a like one. Okay, this is in the first episode. Like, <laughs> as he's getting depo- deployed to his next undercover assignment, his dad is like his handler at the CIA or whatever, <laughs> and his dad's like, listen, I got the perfect guy for a job. The only problem is, He's he's a very talented folk artist as well.
1: And what? he sometimes gives away
2: state secrets in his folk songs. So he's like singing about the Iran nuclear proliferation in his folk songs. This
0: sounds amazing. It's very wow. very good. That I don't know why it was re- reminding me because I watched uh Samurai Cop. Have mm. you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> I, my, <laughs> <laughs> like the overly sexual tone with like the helicopter cop. Yeah, she's like, "Keep it warm for me," and he's like, "Oh, it's plenty warm." And they they keep going back and forth, and I'm like, "What the fuck and is the going on?" And the doctor
2: too in the beginning, it's like, "What?"
0: The yeah, fuck? she grabs this. He's like, "You call this a penis?" She, he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Were you circumcised?" <laughs> he just starts laughing. He's like, "You must have cut off too much." Then, <laughs> like, and then she looks at the black guy, yeah. and I'm like, "What the fuck is going on?" Did you notice like the the undertone um black racism in oh, the movie? Yeah, yeah. He keeps mentioning the black guy's always like uh, the boss is going to chew my ass, or he's going to burn my ass. And the guy looks at him and he's like, "Don't worry about it. Your ass is already black." Yeah. I'm like, "What it's, the fuck?" Listen,
2: that shit was like borderline black exploitation. It's it's not a good movie. It's it's funny as fuck. If you want to now for supplemental mm, material, mm. watch the O S W review of Samurai. Con okay, on it's YouTube. pretty funny.
0: Holy shit, <laughs> it'll kill you. You two love that show. Which right? one? He Justin or Jordan loves it too, right? He's never seen O S W. No. I thought you were into it. Mm-mm. LSW, OSW, OSW. Mm-mm. Oh, I thought he always talks about it. I could be wrong. You
2: might be thinking of all fantasy, everything, mm. AFE. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's probably that's mm-hmm. probably right. Hey, it's a great podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking of podcasts, hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? It's Molasses Part Two. Mm. Sorry, sorry. So you know what it's going to be about? It's me. I know exactly what it's going to be about. It's molasses part two. I was thrown for a loop. My name is Adam. (laughs) Sitting across from me as ever, Jordan Fox. How are you? I'm good. How are you, buddy? At j.j.fox on Instagram. (laughs) That's
1: right. That's
2: fantastic. How was your week?
1: My week was very good with one weird thing thrown in. Hmm. So, yesterday, I was on my way to work. had to stop into Walgreens to get a gallon of water and an energy drink. And... Notice there's a cop car sitting outside, (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, whatever, there's just, like, a cop in there, like, getting some stuff, and I walk in, and I see two cops and four paramedics by the checkout, and when Uh you walk in on Robert Street, that one, you can't, like, there's, you know, the two checkouts, so I go around the corner to get back to the coolers and shit. And I look over right as they're pulling a white sheet around, and I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so I grab my stuff and come up, and they're, like, moving the person onto the stretcher. <laughs> and the fucking sheet, like, slips off, and I'm like, all right, cool. I started my day by seeing a dead body.
0: <laughs> what the? How, was it, like, an old person? Or they no, just- he was, like, our age. Jesus. Jesus. I well, I don't. Maybe
1: it was an OD or something. I don't know what the hell, dude. Yeah, I have no idea. But I was like, "Is this like a sign for my day? Is it just <laughs> going to be a bad day in general?" It's oh, a,
0: it's I don't a, like starting off the day you know, with a corpse. You know, it's going to be a good day when you go into Walgreens and you see a dead body. Yeah,
1: yeah, fantastic. I,
0: <laughs> I can I can honestly say I've never walked in anywhere and seen a dead body outside of like a funeral home. So well, yeah, driven, have I. Have you ever mm-hmm. driven past hmm. them? No. Um. Like suspected ones, I don't know uh, if they're actually dead or not. All right, there I'm, was
2: a guy that I drove fast that was severely dead. <laughs> he was very dead. His head was all fucking mm. not really there anymore.
0: <laughs> the worst I seen was we were traveling from Oregon down to California when I we took our road trip, and there was a it's like a steep incline down the mountain, and this semi had tipped over, mm. and this like cab was like, and then on the news later I seen there was like a fatal crash right there. And I'm pretty him. sure. Yeah, I didn't see a yeah. body, but I'm pretty sure that was him. Put him in the body bag, Johnny. <laughs> the guy that didn't yeah. see
2: a body was Cody. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm fantastic. At Bumblebutt Podcast on
0: Instagram. Mm, I should make my own personal you one. I've been told that
1: multiple times. People <laughs> say Cody should make sense. his own.
0: I know. I I probably should just bite the bullet and do it. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll feel ambitious here soon enough. But hell yeah! How was your week? Uh, It was a week. It was fine. You Uh, got through. Yeah. Not much to say about it. It's kind of a boring... Kind of a humdumber. Yeah. I'm glad it's warm out. Hell yes. It's nice to, like, wear a shirt, and (sighs) as you'll probably hear throughout the episode, all the uh, annoying pricks with their motorcycles and pickups and loud cars and whatever. And V-Techs. Oh, yeah. They always have to be showing everybody how loud their exhaust is. So. They're really oh, yeah. cool. They're really cool. <laughs> They're like my favorite people on earth. Dude. Yeah. Dude, I just wish I could be as cool as them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, you could certainly put a nice exhaust on that Honda uh, CRV. I was going
1: to say, technically, I got a VTEC. <laughs>
2: At some point, I think they should have put an exhaust on the syrup, sir, oh. on the syrup, on the molasses container.
0: <laughs> are you trying to transition here? I'm trying I, to. Are you deep, having a stroke I'm, right I'm, now? <laughs> I'm drowning in flop sweat over here, boys.
2: <laughs> I'm a fraud.
0: Yeah, so uh, we're basically gonna pick up where I left off, which is essentially right before the collapse of the tank. So I'm assuming everybody had listened to episode one if you're listening to episode two. If you haven't, listen to episode one. Yeah. Don't be a dummy. No. You have to find you, out you, about you. cool anarchists. Mm. Oh, and we're on that pod coin
2: thing now. So <laughs> yeah, get, get, use our code Bumblebutt. Get paid
0: or whatever to listen to podcasts. Get
2: coins to... Get coins. And give us coins. We've
0: gotten a lot of downloads (laughs) since then, though. The date is January 15th, 1919. William White was working studiously in his office. Now, William remembered thinking, today was a bit odd. Just two days ago, the temperature was about 2 degrees in Boston. Now, it was 40 degrees. Mm. Quite an anomaly for Boston in mid-January. William received a call from his wife asking if he could help her pick out some dresses at the Jordan Marsh department store, and why not grab some nice lunch afterwards? That sounds like a nice... (laughs) afternoon with mm-hmm. your significant other mm-hmm. i've never heard of the jordan marsh department
1: store i'm listen assume... it's part of what us jordans do don't worry about <laughs> it yeah 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 this isn't for
2: us it's got all
0: uh radio
2: you're not allowed. Store t-shirts <laughs> it's jordan only well that's in the front in the back is all the good uh, yeah you have to suits. ask
0: for the secret stash yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: that's
1: where the flannels are
0: yeah William believed he had been working so goddamn hard. His office was filled with paperwork, and he had just successfully acquired the large shipment of molasses, and it would be about three months till another shipment was expected. Mm -mm. So why not take a break and join his wife? He had earned it. He would only be gone about an hour. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I don't see anything that could go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Roughly 40 minutes after William White had left, There were two young children hiding behind the giant molasses tank named Pasquale Iantosca and Antonio Distacio. I wonder if they're Italian. Uh, I think they are a form of Australian. Uh, Yeah,
1: (laughs) that sounds about right to me. Oh yeah,
0: I forgot to mention, there's going to be a lot of Irish and Italian names, so be prepared for that. A lot of mixing
2: guineas in this one.
0: (laughs) So the two children had been instructed by their parents to collect firewood from around the tank while on their lunch break from Paul
1: Revere Elementary School. But why does it have to be from around the tank? Does I do, Maybe the smell from molasses-soaked wood <laughs> is good. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe a burn
0: Yeah, Oh, no, that could be. Oh, ho, ho. Now the two were hiding because two workers were yelling at Antonio's sister to leave the property because she was trespassing. Now, Antonio began to feel bad for his sister, so he decided to come out of, come out from his hiding spot and return to her side, leaving little Pasquale behind. Now, at his sister's side, he would begin to notice a very large shadow beginning to cover the entire area. Shit. Boston Police Patrolman Frank McManus was approaching the call box to give headquarters his reports like he did every time he was working, McManus was just a few sentences into his call when he heard what he described as a machine gun-like rat-a-tat-tat sound and an unearthly grinding and scraping. Oh
1: god, it's a UFO.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When he turned and looked, he was in disbelief. Right before his eyes, he watched as a giant molasses tank disintegrated right in front of him. Fuck! Spilling... <laughs> we're, we're over the cliff now, boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That cliffhanger's all the, the, down.
1: There's no putting that molasses back where it was. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> spilling out all the molasses in a giant wave of thick liquid that he claimed darkened the sky. He then yelled out to the dispatcher,
1: Send all available rescue vehicles <laughs> and personnel immediately. There's a wave of molasses coming down Commercial Street. <laughs>
0: It was approximately 12.45 p.m. when the tank exploded and spilled the 2.3 million gallons of molasses. When the molasses raged down the street, street, it created a black tidal wave that was about 25 feet tall and 160 feet wide at the outset. Now, the wave of molasses was much more destructive than your regular old ocean wave. Hmm.
1: Yeah, because it doesn't go around things (laughs) (laughs) because molasses is thick. Very thick.
0: If only but if only someone had a bodyboard at this point. <laughs> oh they would have been fine. <laughs> its crushing weight unleashed a terrible force that pulverized the entire waterfront in a half mile swath of commercial street. Worse too, unlike an ocean wave whose momentum is concentrated in one direction, the wall of molasses pushed in all directions after it escaped the tank. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus.
2: Mm-hmm. Like a,
0: like a nuclear bomb,
1: just like... Yeah.
0: A huge mushroom cloud of molasses right there. Oh, just wait till
1: that comes back down on you. <laughs> so it was more
0: like four separate walls of viscous liquid smashing across the <laughs> wharf and into the streets. Add to that the speed at which the molasses traveled, roughly 35 miles per hour initially. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's fast molasses,
1: ain't
0: it? <laughs> And the fact that the tank itself disintegrated into deadly steel missiles, <laughs> and that thousands of fastening rivets turned into lethal steel bullets, the end result was severe destruction within a concentrated area. <laughs> it was a
2: giant frag grenade. <laughs> I mean,
0: essentially, in a nutshell, that's what it was. God really, damn. The wave of molasses turned the north end paving yard buildings into nothing more than pieces of wood. It tore the Engine 31 firehouse right off its foundation and nearly pushed it into the harbor. (laughs)
2: It's a full-ass building floating down the Molasses Street.
0: (laughs) It destroyed the wood-framed house of the Clority family. It crushed freight cars, autos, wagons, men, women, children, horses, dogs, and many other objects in its path. When it tore down electrical wires they would spark and smoke until being submerged into the
1: molasses. (laughs) Well, hey, listen, at least it's putting out the electrical fires. True. I I guess molasses can't
0: conduct electricity like water can, which is Of course it can, because molasses is dumb. (laughs) Wear molasses boots, and you'll be fine when dealing with electricity. (laughs) A one-ton piece of steel that was caught within the wave had sliced through a column of the elevated railroad, causing some of the tracks to fall to the ground. Fuck, <laughs> man. It, Jesus. it explained it like it was basically like an upright beam that just kind of went, just sliced the fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Within minutes after the eruption of the tank, the entire area would resemble a bombed-out war zone. Several businesses and residents' cellars would be filled with molasses. (laughs) Just just try to imagine seeing an entire area coated completely with molasses.
1: Now, what I want to know, those people whose cellars were filled... Were they able to say, this is my molasses I now, so. and you got to pay me if you want it back? That's I a good so. point.
0: I think so. Sadly, I think they like vacuumed it out, so they didn't get to keep them. I'm, they busted out worked. the
1: Hoover in 1919.
0: <laughs> bullshit, man. They had a couple shop vacs going. <laughs> Rescue teams of firefighters, police, doctors, and nurses were quickly on the scene to help from the Haymarket Relief Station. A Boston Post reporter wrote this about the scene later. Molasses, waist-deep, covered the
2: street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled a form. Whether it was an animal or human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. Brutal. So it's like a
1: shitty tar pit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's
0: a good point, mm. actually. That's a good comparison. Wow. I was thinking quicksand, too, from, <laughs> from Mario 3. <laughs> Maybe that was actually supposed to be like a... a An homage? A, yeah, a blonde molasses. <laughs> Thankfully, more than a 100 sailors from the USS Nantucket and Bessie J would help in the rescue effort... The rescuers would use ladders to pull people out of the molasses, making sure to thoroughly wipe away the molasses in order to assist them with breathing Mm -hmm. again. I was
1: hoping they were going to take their boats on the molasses.
0: (laughs) I wonder if you could, like, get a boat on the molasses, if you could, like, sail through molasses. I feel like
1: it would be slow going. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I really don't think you're getting a lot of movement.
0: We need to get rich enough to test this. (laughs) What do you mean, like, just wind power? We're just gonna like fill a giant pond with molasses and then get a sailboat and we're gonna just All practice. Right. See, it. we have
1: to get multiple boats. We got to try a motor. <laughs> yeah, we
0: need an rowboat,
1: <laughs> <a> sailboat. <laughs> Let's
0: see if
2: that shit can cut through molasses.
0: <laughs> Those who were already perished were sent to the mortuary for identification later. Rescuers soon noticed tangled hair swirling in the molasses. When they pulled the body out, it was Antonio's sister, Maria D'Stanzio. Her body was badly broken and had died from asphyxiation. Antonio D'Estanzio was much more for- fortunate. Although he had a fractured skull and concussion from being smashed against a lamppost, Fuck, Jesus. He, was, he was still alive. So thank God for that. Yeah, I, yeah man. At this point, little Pascual Iantosca Tosca was still missing. The workers who were yelling at Maria earlier also survived because they were lucky enough to to have rode the molasses wave into the ocean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Get the doors. We're going surfing, boys. They were like
0: far enough away or what? I think basically when it hit them, um, if they were lucky enough to go down the street and right off into the wharf where she probably, I think, uh, probably got pulled and hit a little tiny lamppost instead of being taken into the ocean.
2: So this wasn't still, yeah, this wasn't still hot molasses, right? Um, like right no, off the No, show? no,
0: no. Okay. Like the, the op- ambient temperature was 40 degrees, yeah. but the molasses obviously wasn't that hot. And it was two a couple of days before, right? Yeah, two yeah. Days. So it's probably kind of cold, actually. Okay.
2: Well, that's that's a lot better than like boiling tar <laughs> yeah, molasses. <I'm-
0: laughs> Okay, this is this guy's name, apparently. Royal Albert Lehman (laughs) was actually on the tracks driving a train at the same point. When the wave hit the tracks, the force had tipped the rail car, but managed to settle back onto the tracks. Fuck. Albert Lehman's right shoulder had smashed into the window, but would manage to stop the train car lengths before it would have fallen off and then managed to get all the trains behind him to stop before they would plummet off as well. He is royal. (coughs) He is
2: royal Albert Lehman.
0: That's a a badass. God, can you imagine that? You're just riding and it's just like... All of a sudden you're doing a sick fucking grind (laughs) on the fucking train track.
1: Dude, (laughs) tight-ass (laughs) 50-50.
0: Goofy foot. (laughs) Now, with the engine 31 firehouse... Fifty-six-year-old John Barry remembers awaking to searing pain across his back and legs, and while smelling and tasting the molasses as it tried to enter his nostrils and mouth, he was pinned face down with his cheeks smashed into the molasses. He only had his left arm free, and we used that to keep the molasses away from his face. My but, God, was he Get just out chilling? Out was he
2: just chilling in the firehouse?
0: Could have been
1: sleeping. Probably, <laughs> <my> man. <laughs>
0: I think there's only—we're going to talk about all four of them that were in the house, but um, I think they're just kind of chilling, waiting for a call or whatever.
2: they're on duty.
0: Yeah. John attempted to lift whatever was pinning him down because it was making it hard for him to breathe, but he just didn't have the strength to get it off. He let out a cry for help, and thankfully, Firefighter's Patty Driscoll was trapped with him, (laughs) but told him,
2: Keep your courage, John. Don't get us out.
1: I hope they hurry,
0: Patty. I hope they hurry. <laughs> I love your Driscoll accent. <laughs> <laughs> also trapped in the firehouse were Bill Connor and Nat Bowering. Now Bill had managed to get the radiator off of his back, while Nate had a support beam across his midsection. Mm-hmm. It appeared mm-hmm. that <laughs> it appeared that when the foundations had been knocked loose. It caused the second story of the three story building to crash down to the first, creating an 18 inch crawl space, and that is where they were trapped in. Boy, the ceiling got a lot lower. <laughs> yeah. that's, a,
1: that's an interesting way for a building to collapse.
2: <laughs> Dude, and they're like a fucking, they're trapped in a peanut butter and jelly yeah.
0: sandwich. Yeah. A house and molasses sandwich. Right now. <laughs> they're not doing good. No, this is not good. Now, the molasses was up to their chins, but they saw light coming through a hole. Bill said,
1: For God's sake, keep that hole clear in front of you. Kick that shit away so the molasses (laughs) can flow.
0: Nat was trying and said, They will never find us here, Bill. There is no possible chance for us. Our only salvation is
1: for you to keep that hole
0: open. (laughs) While the two were speaking, they heard another voice say, Oh my God, help me. Oh my God. It was the voice of George Leahy, Bill shouted.
1: George! George! It's Bill! Stay calm, George! They'll get us out!
0: Oh, Bill, we're gone. Through a hole, Bill could see that George was pinned underneath the pool table. George, hang in there! Hang in! They're coming, George! I don't think I can. Oh, Bill, it's too late.
2: I'm gone. My God, I'm gone.
0: Nat said, there goes poor George.
1: <laughs> Shut up, Nat. Stay with me, George. George, answer me.
0: But there was no response. George Leahy remained silent. They it should w- poke him with a stick.
1: <laughs> yeah. See if uh, he's
0: dead. He's 100% dead, I promise. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> RIP in peace. Fucking George.
0: It would be several hours before a rescue worker would make his way to John Barry. The rescue worker came prepared with a syringe of morphine and a bottle of whiskey. That's that's a concoction I can get behind. <laughs> they were intending to inject the morphine directly into John's spine to alleviate the extreme pain he was experiencing in his back and in his <laughs> legs. What are you going to do, dude? You're fucking stuck. You need something. You gotta have something. John recalls thinking that he would never get out and would just die buried under the rubble. The rescue workers had managed to saw through the floors above him, but had to be extremely careful because the building was clearly very unstable. Mm -hmm. Once the workers managed to get to John, he had the syringe prepared and said, Are you ready, John? Do it. (laughs) John remembers feeling the searing pain of the injection at first, but soon the relief followed. There you are, John. No more needles for now. The rescue worker then jammed the brandy in John's mouth and said, "Drink all
2: you can, John, but don't bite it."
0: <laughs> John was drinking as much as he could, trying to expedite his mind into re- relaxation. So he mainlined morphine into his spine, mm-hmm. and now he's chugging down some brandy. Mm-hmm. That's—he's
2: in dire straits if oh, the doctors yeah. giving him that.
0: He—well, uh, we're gonna find out what's gonna happen to him. In oh, a second. I don't want to. At this point. John remembers being so high he could barely tell what was going on. He does recall hearing what sounded like a saw just above his head, then all of a sudden, he instantly felt the weight holding him down disappear. Oh, that's got to be the best oh, feeling. Yeah. Before long, he was being hoisted out of the building and placed upon a stretcher off to the hospital. Oh. They had already managed to rescue Bill Connor, Nate Bowering, and Patty Driscoll, whom were already at the hospital dealing with their own injuries. Around 5 p.m. that night, they would pull George Leahy's lifeless body from the wreckage. R.I.P. Leahy.
1: George, he's th- the one I wanted to survive. I mean, it's
0: you got a pool table on you.
1: you I mean, they, in they, they weigh a few pounds. Yeah. yeah, a couple. Oof.
0: Shortly after the incident, Dr. George Burgess McGrath, George, Dr.
2: George Burgess Meredith. <laughs> Do you guys know who Burgess Meredith is? No. no. Oh, my God. Who is it,
0: is it Have you ever seen guy? the
2: Twilight Zone? Yeah. Okay, he was in a lot of Twilight Zones. Uh, Have you ever uh, seen Rocky? Yes. yes. He was Mick.
0: Oh! That's Burgess Meredith. Mm. So that's his real name, not his character's name? Yes. Okay, okay. Well, anyway, I don't think this is him. Maybe it's it is. It's not. That I mean, he's, I think he was old enough,
2: but who knows? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So George Burgess McGrath, who was the Sulphic County Medical Examiner, had been working on an autopsy when he got the call. He and his assistant headed out fully equipped with hip-high fishing boots. His task would be to pronounce people as deceased. He said this about the bodies.
2: Looked as though they were covered in heavy oil skins. Their faces, of course, were covered in molasses. Eyes and ears, mouth and nose filled with it. The task of finding out who they were. And what happened to them? Began by washing the clothing and bodies with sodium bicarbonate and hot water.
0: While wading through the chaos, Dr. McGrath remembers seeing local priests trudging through and performing last rites on the dead or mortally wounded. Fuck. He would hear constant gunshots. Since so many animals were trapped in the molasses, the police believed the only course of action was to put them out of their mystery. This dog
1: has one paw stuck. Sorry,
0: Fido. (laughs) Yep. It seemed like it was mostly horses. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they couldn't get their big beasts. You know, it's hard to get them onto there. It's an awful thing to think about, but it
2: was probably for the best.
0: I didn't put, like, a whole bunch of it, but, like, there's a lot of descriptions. Like, all through the night, people just hear gunshots from, like, constantly killing animals Shelfsies. that were stuck in there. Oh. Yeah, it was bad. A police officer then directed Dr. McGrath to the smashed Clority house he would come upon the 65-year-old Bridget Cloherdy. When he examined her, her ribcage and chest had been crushed and would have died from massive internal injuries. Bridget's two sons, Martin and Stefan and daughter Teresa had been injured and taken to the Haymarket Relief Station. Mm-hmm. Shortly after this, Dr. McGrath witnessed the mayor, Andrew Peters,
1: standing on a roof giving a speech. The mayor said, Baston is appalled at the terrible accident that occurred here today. An occurrence of this kind must not and cannot pass without a rigid investigation to determine the cause of the explosion, not only to prevent a recurrence of such a frightful accident, but also to place the responsibility where it belongs. Such an investigation has been instigated this afternoon by corporation counsel at my direction.
0: Now, Dr. McGrath vividly remembers the choice words used by the mayor especially, quote, explosion. Mm-hmm. Dr. McGrath then soon returned to his morgue, for there would be plenty of bodies on the way, and he would need to try to identify them. Uh-huh. Even though Dr. McGrath had left the scene, the mayor continued his speech, and after he was done, there would be another person who needed to inform the public. That was USIA attorney Henry F.R. Dolan. He would say a lot of the same things as the mayor, except... He was blaming, quote, outside influences, clearly blaming the North and anarchists, Dolan said. We know beyond question that the
2: tank was not weak. We know that an examination was made of the outside of the base of the structure a few (laughs) minutes before its collapse. We know, and our experts feel satisfied, that there was no fermentation because the molasses was not of sufficient temperature to ferment. The company contends that there was no structural weakness... But we do venture the opinion that something from the outside opened up the tank. (sighs) Thank you, F.R. Dolan. You're a real peach, you
0: (laughs) fucking asshole. (laughs) Now our main protagonist, Arthur Gell, was obviously shaken by what had happened. You ain't getting that promotion now. Nope. (laughs) Now, he was being informed by his bosses to explicitly remain silent and let Dolan do all the talking. Mm -hmm. Also, they told him to make sure no city inspector or police officer was allowed to take any (laughs) evidence from the tank site. Yeah, the tank site is... I'm pretty
1: sure he can't stop them from doing that. (laughs) The tank site is all over Boston now. (laughs) Yeah. And in
0: the sea. The following day... The USIA was sending their own engineers to inspect and determine the cause of the accident. Arthur actually went to the tank's location, passed over the police tape, and tried to get them to leave the crime scene. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, they were not about to do that. Arthur didn't lose hope, though. He figured they weren't going to be taking any evidence today anyway. His plan instead was to force them out tomorrow. (laughs) Mm, Very fucking smart. (laughs) So many fucking shysters. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now, at the Haymarket Relief Station, it was utter chaos. Injured people were being transported via wagons, and it didn't take long for them to begin running out of room quickly. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the Boston City Hospital was nearby and soon transformed itself into a triage facility. The whole hospital? Basically, got overtaken by all these injured people. What are you going to do? Best
1: place for them. a lot of sassy molasses running (laughs) down the streets. (laughs) Hospital
0: personnel had to remove the molasses from the patient's breathing passages and cut off the molasses-soaked clothing just so they could learn the gender of the victims. Fuck. The Boston Post reported this about the scene.
2: Those already on duty were soon covered from head to foot with brown syrup and blood. The whole hospital reeked of molasses. It was on the floors, the walls, the nurses were covered in it, even in their hair.
0: Within the first hour, the wheeled stretchers became immovable because the hospital corridors were covered with congealing molasses. (laughs) Corridor floors and walls became so slippery with molasses... That had dripped from the clothing of the injured. That attendants found it necessary to repeatedly swab the entrance with hot water. Man, I would have put down
2: a little salt or something too. <laughs> yeah, maybe put some cat sand, litter. <laughs> cat litter. Put down cat litter everywhere. <laughs> Turn in your cat litter to the Boston Hospital.
0: No, I didn't bring it up in here, but it's something that I found really weird. Is like they mention a lot of people. They cleaned the molasses out of their hair, and it was like turned white. So I don't know if wow. it like. Pulled the coloring yeah. out of their hair or something or like dyed it? F- strip the pigment from their hair? That's what, like, a lot of people, they wash it out and their hair would be, like, white. Wow. So. Well, that's that sounds amazing. better
1: for your hair than bleaching <laughs> it.
0: That's amazing. I don't know if I'd try. I mean, someone should try it out there. Give it a whirl. Pour wanna, some black strap on your hair.
2: I want to try that raw egg thing. That's, that's, what, that's what, what I to try, do. Where it makes your hair all soft and stuff.
1: Coconut oil,
0: man. It could be. Oh, coconut oil. <laughs> The hospital battled through the night doing everything they could. James McMullen, John Barry, John Callahan, and Ralph Murray were all facing severe injuries and they were fighting to stay alive. The body count was starting to mount quickly, though. 57-year-old William Brogan, whom was a teamster for the paving department, had managed to stay alive long enough for his wife to arrive before succumbing to a fractured skull. 69-year-old John Sieberlick, who was a black a local blacksmith who was only about 50 feet from the tank when it had exploded, succumbed to his injuries upon reaching the relief station.
1: Mm. I'm going to say that's a pretty good uh, stretch for <sighs> being 50 feet away. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It seems like you if you were standing in just the right place then you wouldn't get smashed against something but a, mo- a lot of people weren't so lucky obviously.
2: I would rather just I would rather just get it over with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like please let me be right <laughs> under the goddamn
0: thing. 78-year-old Michael Sinat, who was just a messenger on his lunch break, was hit by the wave and would succumb to his injuries at the end of the first night. The death toll was 11. Nine men dead, one woman, and one child, with several people still missing, including the young boy who was behind the tank when it had erupted. The day after the accident, the newspapers all around Boston... Boston, I almost said it like a Boston guy. Boston. (laughs) Boston. (laughs) All around Boston. (laughs) Were flooded by headlines. Oh, I see what you did. (laughs) Flooded Flooded by headlines. (laughs) By headlines and theories about the tank and the death toll it had added up to so far but they still didn't have a definitive answer. State chemist Walter Wedger and U.S. Inspector of Explosives Daniel T. O'Connell... Do you think they're Irish?
2: I don't know, man.
0: (laughs) ...had came to the conclusion of the, quote, collapse theory, essentially that the tank had disintegrated because of the combination of structural weakness and fermentation. Of course... Henry F.R. Dolan continued to argue that this was from, quote, evilly disposed persons. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. They're still pushing the anarchists. Oh, we're not done with that, that <laughs> yeah. yet. Jesus. Soon, the USIA's own engineers would be on the scene. Perhaps they could get to the bottom of the cause of the tank's collapse. On Friday, Friday January 17th, 1919, the cleanup efforts were in full effect, The city provided 125 workers, Boston Elevated offered 100 more, and the Hugh naw Construction supplied 100 more on top of that. That's very nice. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what's not nice? No. (laughs) But I'm sure you're going to tell me. (laughs) Oh, yes. Now, the USIA engineers were on the scene, but it appeared what they were doing was supervising the removal of the scrap pieces of the tank once they were being transported to another location. I can only assume... This was an attempt to protect the company from negligence. Of course. They were over there just making <laughs> yeah. sure they got all the pieces yeah. out.
1: <laughs> we need this for our insurance claim. <laughs> yeah.
0: Witnesses overheard Whitaker. Whitaker's like the big boss, remember? Yep. So they overheard Whitaker and a city officer arguing because the company did not want to invest any of their own money into help hiring workers to help with the cleanup, <laughs> but Whitaker finally gave in and hired uh, an additional hundred men. Why did you even fight it? Fucking Man, he prick. should be yeah. paying
2: half of the wages for every other worker that <laughs>
0: Yeah, no that
1: shit. To.
0: <laughs> that same day, 21-year-old Ralph Martin, who is merely a driver for Dolan Meats, when he was caught in the chaos, had finally passed away due to infection. Jumping to January 19th, Jan- James McMullen would pass away from infection, and Patrick Breen would pass away from pneumonia. <sighs>
2: Ugh. From molasses lungs, pneumonia. Is the
1: infection diabetes? Ooh. It could
0: be, but I don't think so. I think it's mm. just... Oh. Probably cuts and then having it
1: I imagine, wicked yeah, molasses. Yeah.
0: John Barry, the man who had been trapped under the water heater, was finally home, but as he described it, he was black from bruising over his entire... Body, yeah, his arms and chest were covered in boils that had to be lanced by his daughters. Oh. I know it, that is gross. Ja, poor John, like for someone who actually survived, he had he was fucked up, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throughout the rest of his life, his legs and back would never fully heal, and he was never able to return to his firefighting job, but at least he was still alive. Mm. On January twentieth, a man named John Callahan, who had worked for the city of Boston, passed away from shock and pneumonia. Later that same day, they would from shock. <laughs> That's what it said. All right. Like I said, I want to make sure I get all the victims' names that I can in here, so right. we can. <laughs> I know it's shock, kind of a lot. Though, like, what is like? I don't on... know. It said shock and pneumonia. All right. Later that same day, they would finally recover the body of ten-year-old Pasquale when the tank when the tank collapsed a rail car that was caught in the molasses wave had smashed his body up against the wall
1: so there's probably not a whole lot of body left. I,
0: I could have went into extreme detail about him, um, but he, yeah, he, they said his body was almost unrecognizable. So cool. it
2: was in between a, t- a train car and a wall. Like the, yeah,
0: it yeah. smashed him in there. Yes. That's probably why they didn't sm- they didn't find him. Right I was away. hoping he would be like well, just chilling. <laughs> he somewhere. was probably in the worst spot a human could possibly yeah. be when that yeah. thing collapsed. And all he was his. It's really sad. I didn't mention it in here, but his dad and mom were like searching and searching and searching for him but i was hoping they were going to find him like playing super nintendo at somebody's <laughs> house or
1: something <laughs> or just like they taking ha- a long swim in the ocean mm-hmm. did they
0: have super nintendo in 1919 <laughs> <laughs> they certainly did not but maybe he would have been alive he could have been did.
1: playing analog pong yeah good
0: point <laughs> real dumb pong <laughs> 11 days after the collapse on january 26 they recovered the body of flaminio gallerani he had been swept into the bay Which is why it took him so long to find him. They said his hands had been eaten by sea animals, but his face was still intact, and that's how they were able to identify him. Hmm. We have one more guy. Finally, there is only one more person who is still being reported missing. 32-year-old Cesar Nicolio. His body would not be found until 14 months after the tank's collapse. Hmm. So, as of January 26th, 1919, the molasses disaster had claimed the lives of 19 people.
1: Mm. Jesus. 14 months. Yep. I'm going to go grab that bottle of blackstrap you have and throw it right in the trash. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't like molasses. (laughs) Mm -mm.
0: Now, at this point, hearing all the gruesome details and pointless deaths based on a company's greed and negligence, is anything going to happen to them? Well, on February 8th, 1919, the company receives a call from Judge Wilford Bolster, and he is blaming them for the entire disaster. He said this.
1: The only assignable crime involved is manslaughter through negligence. Oof. My conclusion from all this evidence is that this tank was wholly insufficient in point of structural strength yes. to handle its load. Yes. Insufficient to meet either legal or engineering requirements. Yes. The structure being maintained in violation of the law, the lessee has incurred the penalty which is absolute, and therefore, I have ordered process against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company. Yay. Okay, I want
0: to ask you guys. So, it's kind of weird. I thought it was kind of weird. Like, the judge himself literally hit the streets and was, like, looking at everything. I don't think a judge mm. would do that mm. nowadays, right? Probably well,
2: not. Well, I know in the O.J. case, they had the judge go through, like... Oh. Yeah, they brought him out there, yeah. Like, immediately? No, not immediately. Mm. Not
0: immediately. But I have to imagine this judge, he's part of the community, you know? Yes. It seems like a lot of people, it's like a tight community, like they really care for each other. Everybody's
2: helping in the relief effort, judge, jury, and executioner.
0: So, based on Judge Bolster's findings, District Attorney Joseph Peltier would present his evidence to the grand jury. Now, five days after reviewing the evidence, the grand jury reported...
2: The grand jury concurs with the expression of Chief Justice Bolster that no matter of expense of qualified employees should deter the city from making a most thorough examination of all plans and materials submitted before issuing
0: a permit. Mm, there's that fucking permit thing again. Oh, we know what's gonna happen now. But foundation <laughs> permit, bitches. <laughs> but they also said there was insufficient evidence to charge anyone with manslaughter. Boo. I know. Now, the USIA was sticking to their story that the collapse was not their fault, but was those damn anarchists who were the ones who had blew up the tank. <laughs> and it didn't help that the grand jury was not issuing any indictments. Even if the anarchists hated companies like the USIA, what they were about to do over the next several months could actually help the USIA in a strange way. What? The following April, they began to start bombings and inciting riots all throughout the country. They were upset because President Wilson had signed off on the deportation of Luigi Gallerini, Gallerini. Galliani. Galliani. <laughs> Galliani. They just put him down a toilet and flushed him. <laughs> anyway, no, so they were sending him back to Italy. All right. Now, Luigi was considered to be one of the leaders of the anarchist group. That's why they were so pissed off. Okay. Um, they also were deporting a lot of, they call them, it's a really hard word to say, Bolsheviks. 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 Communists. Yeah, well, yeah, I got that, but yeah. I'm just saying. Bolsheviks. It seems like the anarchists and the communists were, like, different. But, oh, yeah yeah, so, yeah. 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 But they were deporting them, too, so. In August of 1919, the USIA reported to the authorities that two of its molasses steamers had vanished without a trace while en route from the Caribbean. Hmm. While it was never proven, they blamed the di- disappearance on an anarchist bomb. Wait, two steamers went missing? Yep. They just never were found. Did they ever find them? Never found. Was they it have, in the no, Bermuda Triangle? It could be. I Ooh. mean, is that... If you're traveling from... What did I say? Cuba to the United States, I yeah. guess. I don't know. Is that I the don't me- know. I, I don't know, know what it is. Don't know. <laughs> I, I couldn't
1: tell you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> on September 14th,
0: 1919, the USIA Brooklyn plant was set on flames. No one was injured, but the damage was so severe it caused them to close the plant down. They later claimed to find a, quote, incendiary device within the wreckage. Mm. All the senseless anarchist attacks just gave the grand jury less and less reason to pursue the charges Mm. against the USIA. Mm -hmm. In the end, the Boston tank collapse would lead to a total of 21 dead, 150 injured, destroyed property. And the victims and families were demanding justice, and soon they would get it. Let's go. The proceedings would finally begin on August 9th, 1920, over a year, mm-hmm. let would say over a year and a half after the mm-hmm. fucking accident. The man who would decide the verdict at the end was a man named Hugh W. Ogden. Now Ogden was a well-respected veteran of World War I and would often be referred to later on as the Soldier Lawyer. Hell yeah. (laughs) That's badass. (laughs) What a beast. Ogden was known for being a lawyer more interested in protecting people. He would often do pro bono cases, presumably when someone could not afford his services, and Ogden wanted to help someone in need. So he's uh, the best lawyer of all time. Yeah, They really, really stressed, like, this dude really wanted to protect people. That's great. Now, Ogden would not be the lead attorney, but would serve as an auditor for Supreme Court Judge Loranus Eaton Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, come on, guy. Loranus Eaton Hitchcock? It's a very judgy name. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's got Anus Eaton and Cock in it. <laughs> so, in the end, he would give his determination in the case. I thought this was kind of weird. It's like this guy's doing all the work and then the judge just takes his word on it. Have you ever heard of that before? Uh -uh. Mm -mm. Initially, they were going to fill the courtroom with each person's lawyer separately, which added up to 119 plaintiffs and 135 (laughs)
1: lawyers total. Who is doubling up lawyers in this situation? (laughs) Probably the
0: USIA, to be honest with you. Yeah, dream team. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. But they decided they
0: simply could not accommodate the courtroom to fit all of those people, so it would be one lawyer speaking for all the plaintiffs and one for the defense. The plaintiff's attorney was a man named Damon Everett Hall, and the defense's name Charles Francis Choate.
2: Okay, so to be a lawman in 1919, you had to have three names. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, apparently. That's really all there is to it.
0: (laughs) Both were extremely well-respected and very, very good lawyers. The initial belief is that the two-lawyer agreement would actually be in the defense's best interest because they would only have to discredit a single lawyer's case. The USIA had already spent fifty thousand dollars on so-called expert witnesses <laughs> with that amount of cash spent it seemed like they certainly believed that the case would lean easily in their favor just throw money at it mm-hmm. which is <sighs> what they should have done when they were building the tank they could have yeah that fifty thousand dollars could have been sturdier metal simple so as that or your own fucking permit for your building <laughs> yeah. you yep. know what i mean on august 10th hall would deliver his opening statements Here's a little sample of his powerful opening.
2: Now I have no doubt that your honor had occasion to see many of the devastated areas of France. If you take a little section of one of those devastated areas and put in it dead men and dead horses (laughs) and then cover it with molasses, you get some idea of what this scene looked like a few minutes after the occurrence. On January 15th, 1919, shortly before 1 o'clock, A time when fortunately a good many people who otherwise would be using Commercial Street were at their lunch. This giant reservoir, constructed in the heart of a busy section for the purpose of (laughs) holding a heavy fluid, suddenly gave way. Deluged the surrounding territory... Took 21 lives and did property damage amounting to hundreds of thousands of dollars.
0: I keep, since I can't really see your face, I keep envisioning you as the chicken from Futurama, the chicken lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's what I was. That's what I base lawyer voices off of.
0: Now, before Choate was able to deliver his opening statements, Hall was allowed to. De- Paul was allowed to deliver some of his preliminary witnesses to describe the destruction the tank had caused. On August 16th, it would finally be Chout's turn. As you can imagine, the USIA was leaning heavily into the theory the anarchists had caused the entire incident. Here's a little section of Chout's opening statement.
1: What was there to have caused a tank containing a perfectly harmless substance (laughs) in common commercial use... To go down with every indication that its breaking was caused by some tremendous explosive force. The tank was built by reputable people, Mm. who were skillful in this kind of work. (laughs) It was carefully painted and kept in perfect condition. (laughs) There is no suggestion of a defect or deterioration in the tank, which could account for the fracture in any way. Can you
0: imagine... All the victims in the courtroom just simultaneous being like, just face palming. They all per- walked by it every day and perfect, saw it falling condition. off. Perfect of condition, come yep. on, buddy. <laughs> they collected the molasses drippings
2: from the fucking
0: tank. Basically, what they are claiming is that someone climbed up upon the top of the tank, opened one of the manhole hatches, dropped a lit incendiary device. It dropped to the bottom of the tank and caused the explosion. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's what they think. Okay, it just fucking sunk real that, quick
1: that's down to the bottom. That's a really long fuse that's not going to go <laughs> he, out he, in a liquid. They, they, you know,
0: they claim that it would stay lit all the way to the bottom. Wow. I don't know how, but wow. it would stay lit. I don't the know. miracle fuse. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, it was not even a wave of molasses that caused the damage, but the concussive blast caused by the explosion mm. that had destroyed everything... The molasses had simply splattered onto the items, causing mm. damage.
1: Mm. Yeah, no. No, no,
0: that's not the thing. Before the court would begin testimonies from witnesses and experts, something happened that may just help the USIA's case. On September 16th, 1920, the anarchists had pulled a horse-drawn carriage loaded with explosives up into the heart of Wall Street. When it detonated, it killed 40 people and injured 200 more and caused $2 million in property damage. A few days later, a letter was received that read this.
2: Remember, we will not tolerate any longer. Free the political prisoners, or it will be sure death for all of you, American anarchist fighters. P.S. I will dynamite you.
0: (laughs) I didn't even know about an attack on Wall Street. Have you guys ever heard of that? Dude, I didn't hear that, but apparently America used to be real ruthless (laughs) in, like, 1919. (laughs) I mean, okay, Jordan, I know you don't like Wall Street, but I don't think these were, like, Wolf of Wall Street people quite yet. Not yet. No. They were probably still dick fucks. Yeah, Yeah, but they didn't deserve to die, obviously. Probably not. Nobody really does. So a few days after this letter, the mayor of Boston received a letter from the anarchist threatening his life, Mm. and they would never, ever catch anybody for the Wall Street bombing. Wow. Never. Now, back with the case, Cho would be the first to start with a testimony from all the USIA's, quote, expert witnesses. They even hired a MIT professor to recreate a, quote, (laughs) mini molasses tank and try to recreate this explosion they had suspected caused the collapse. That's kind of fun, actually. Yeah,
2: some little miniatures. I made a diorama (laughs) for the judge. I would be pretty stoked. I like little stuff.
0: (laughs) Now, I cannot go through every single expert's testimony, but after reading through almost the entire court case, Damon Hall was absolutely masterful at discrediting the USIA's witnesses. To me, many of the testimony delivered by these people made it extremely obvious that we're, they were being paid to say these things. Sure. One woman even went so far as to claim she witnessed smoke coming from the top of the tank prior to the explosion. But of course, not a single other soul seemed to notice all the smoke.
2: Wow. Wow. So the dynamite sunk to the bottom of the tank and then... <laughs> it was smoking. Wow, that's it was smoking. amazing.
0: This dynamite <laughs> gets more and more Can't amazing. Can't she get uh, charged with perjury for that? Uh, maybe. Obstruction of justice, yeah. perjury, something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when it was Hall's turn for witnesses, his were a lot more impactful. He had several people who would give testimony out witnessing just how much the tank had been leaking the years prior to its collapse. And on top of that... The testimony of Isaac Gonzalez really drove the suspected negligence home, being that he was one of the main caretakers of the tank. Mm -hmm. The testimony of the Hammond Construction Company has shown their initial plans called for a specific thickness of steel, but was later changed to a thinner steel that obviously costed less. (laughs) (laughs) The main witness that Hall wanted to get access to was Arthur Gell. Yeah, that slippery son of a gun. (laughs) Chote adamantly tried to convince the judge that Jell would be of no use to the court in this trial. But thankfully, that was swiftly shot down. <laughs> yeah, Jell had his fingers all over the construction of the tank. Mm-hmm. They actually had to travel to New York to accommodate Jell just so he would testify for the court. Wow. Yeah, they had to go to his ass. Wow. What a Jesus. cocksucker. Is. What a beast. <laughs> when the questioning of Jell started... He loved to play the ignorance card throughout most of the questions. Hall brought up the mention in the plans of the tank calling for a safety factor of three to be imposed, which basically meant they needed to take extra precautions in the thickness and sturdiness of the tank. Hmm. It could not be cheaply made to operate properly. Mm-hmm. Jordan, being in construction, have you heard of this safety factor? No. No. I have. Have you? I have. Okay, so I'm not sure how the scale exactly works, but... It's definitely more of like an engineering side of things, Oh, okay. All right. Jill seemed to openly admit that perhaps the construction needed to be hastily made when questioned about testing it with water prior to its Hmm. use. He openly admitted that they didn't have the time or money to do so. Hmm. He also tried to claim Gonzalez was nothing more than a nuisance trying to stir up ridiculous claims, but somehow... In the same vein, he took his mention of the call from the Anarchist very serious.
2: (laughs) He's a nuisance for uh, warning you of the thing that was going to happen. God, he's such
0: a fucking dirtbag.
2: Isaac Gonzalez is the true hero of the story. Yeah, He's a
0: badass. Either way, Jell's testimony seemed to be in the plaintiff's favor. One final important witness that Hall had was Professor Spofford. Spofford? (laughs) Now, Spofford went all through how the molasses ferments and creates an immense amount of pressure from within. Now, if the tank was made, in fact, with a safety factor of three or four, it could have handled it. But he determined at most. It had a safety factor of Mm, (laughs) 1.8. That's not good. That's not good. uh,
2: That's 1.2 less than the minimum. (laughs) Yep.
0: (laughs) Now around July 1921, after several months of testimony and witnesses, Ogden wanted to hear all the damage claims from all the victims before reaching any sort of verdict. This process of hearing from all of these people would take two years jesus Holy
2: christ two fuck.
0: <laughs> fucking years that's how many people were being affected by this fucker <laughs> jesus. jumping to september 20th 1923 it would finally be time for the closing statements Choate was up first and here's a little
1: sample of his the tank was built by experienced tank builders <laughs> they had built thousands of them the tank size presented no unusual problems on the hammond ironworks It was designed by them with an experience of years and successful construction and maintenance behind them. There was no use of defective or improper material. There was no employment of unskilled or inexperienced men in the construction of this tank. Okay. It was good workmanlike job done by experienced workmanlike people out of first class material. Everyone knows I, I, you're lying. I can spot a lie in here, <laughs> right now.
0: He's an honest man. He would not tell a lie. He's a real chode. <laughs> Chote the chode? Chote the fucking chode. <laughs> Still, of course, leaning heavily that it had to be those goddamn anarchists. Mm-hmm. Hall's closing arguments were next, and here's a sample of his. This alleged crime of a mythical anarchist. <laughs> Climbing at high noon up the
2: side of a 50-foot tank in the heart of a busy city. With hundreds of people about, emerging to its roof, dropping in the manhole a mythical bomb after lighting the fuse, and then disappearing down the side of the tank in perfect peace and safety. Through the railroad yard, and out into the city, and then disappearing into thin air, is, I submit, nothing but the sheerest romance. <laughs> Such crimes are generally committed in the dark by mortal men, not at high noon by ghosts. According to all the experience of mankind, of course, when such crimes are contemplated or committed, they do not do it at open noonday with hundreds of people about <laughs> but they seek the
0: darkness of the night in which to do it. His, uh, his entire closing, this is just like a tiny piece of it, but like he keeps using the words ghost, like ghost fuse, ghost mm-hmm. bombs, mm-hmm. ghost <laughs> terrorists. It's like, he's pretty funny. So after the trial was over, it would now be in the hands of Hugh Ogden. Eight weeks after the trial, he was ready to give his verdict, prepared with his 51-page special report on liability. Hell yeah. To me at least, it came as no surprise that he decided that the USIA was in fact guilty of negligence and would be forced to pay out damages. Ogden determined that the USIA should pay out $300,000 in total damages, which is about 4.5 million dollars today six thousand to the families of those who were killed or injured twenty thousand twenty five thousand dollars to the city of Boston and forty two thousand dollars to Boston elevated railway company
2: okay so that's uh is that on top of the 300k
0: no that's okay div- that's, just that's a- it gotcha, up gotcha. um obviously different families got different amounts yeah. but it's still not enough I don't think no so so Damon Hall was happy about his victory over the USIA, but unsatisfied with the payout amounts. So he immediately threatened to take the trial to a public court. USIA must have known this would certainly have damned them if the trial was to go to a public court. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they decided to come to a settlement agreement of $628,000. Yes. Eff- effectively doubling the amount Ogden had suggested. Yes. While the family of people affected would have certainly preferred to have their loved ones back, at least it's something. And better yet, the USIA would forever be guilty of their negligence that led to the deaths of 21 people and many others injured for the rest of their lives. But nobody was put away, Cody. No, nope. Jell wasn't I've, put away. Walter White wasn't put away. I was thinking about this. Have you ever heard of a corporation putting people away for no, negligence? No, no, Like, it just doesn't happen.
2: And you can tell that the fucking judgment was made with the country's best interest at heart right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying that in air quotes because they have to protect the USIA as well.
0: No, yep. I didn't mention this, but the book leaned heavily on uh, Wilson was out of office and then Harding was up next, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Harding... Uh, the USIA was super into him because he wanted to lift all restrictions from big business, so they thought with that they'd be able to kind of peel away any of the safety precautions yeah. for the mm-hmm. tank. Yeah. So it was Harding, and then I can't remember who was after him, but both of them two were. They really wanted big business, big business to prosper around this time, so they thought that would help them get out of all of the shit. But obviously, it didn't. Certainly, so. Yeah.
2: That's fantastic, Cody. This was my favorite two-parter we've ever done, that's for sure. Yeah, this one is fucking great. Uh, You did great. You did really well. Thank Uh, you. I love this one, and I know everyone else will, too.
0: I know it's a a little dark, this episode, but at least they got some justice out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, obviously, I mean, let's say they got $12,000 around this time. That's still not enough if you're paralyzed for the rest of your life. Like I think that's what John Barry, the guy who's like almost paralyzed the rest of his life, I'm pretty sure that's all he got. That's not enough to live off no, of. No. And it comes like
2: four four or five years after the yeah. incident
0: happened. Yeah, it's sad.
2: Ah, <sighs> well, that's business for you, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if you want to tell us about delicious treacle tarts we can make, do so at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, please do so. We are at Pod On Facebook and Instagram, at Podcast. We also have personal ones. Jordan's is at j.j.fox. Mine is at bumbleadam. Now it's time for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the five-star review.
0: And we actually, people heated our calls, finally. Did they finally? And they did. How many? Um, um, we got three more five <gasps> stars, two, two written and one written. Let's read the written. Let's can read we read it. the written? We can. We'll let's go. This. Come on, buddy. <laughs> so this says, great podcast by Kayla M. Kayla M. I haven't been listening long, but I already love this podcast. The hosts are very funny, but also incorporate interesting cases. They tell the stories in a way that keeps you entertained and always seem to have well-researched facts regarding the cases. It's refreshing after listening to the monotonous facts, only true crime podcasts I usually listen to. Mm. This is a perfect example Mm. of uh, how three idiots can create a podcast right here. Thank you, Kayla. Holy cow, that's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. So, so yeah, they heated our call. So thank you guys very much for that. Three of them. Hell, thank you, Kayla them. M, for having the courage. I want to. Write. I want to hit our next goal of 100. Wanna 100, a hundred. I want to hit 100 reviews. That's yeah, where I want. We hit
1: hundred reviews. Don't make any well, promises. We'll f- we might think of something special. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, everybody, thank you very much once again. Uh, That's going to do it for me. I've been Adam. Thank you, Adam. That's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. (laughs) Thank you, Adam. And that's been Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. I want you all to have a nice weekend and a happy 420 and Mm. Easter. Resurrection Blaze it, smoke it, resurrect it. (laughs) 421. Uh, Have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday, everybody.
1: I've had to pee this entire time. Thank God it's done. (laughs) Goddamn.